Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our last episode for this season on pain management, where we will talk about what the future may hold, at least based on my thoughts compiled from a myriad of articles and papers and books. We'll begin this episode by talking about the future of medications for pain, and then move into other interdisciplinary pain management, like the functional restoration techniques that we described last episode. Now, of course, medication is a vital part of pain management, and for mild pains, I think we're pretty well off. If you just have a minor headache or something, there are numerous safe, cheap, and effective drugs to help take care of that, and I don't really think we need much more development on that front. The issue is, of course, with chronic and severe pain, which often needs opioid drugs for effective pain mitigation. But of course, these historically carry a ton of risk. From the poppy plants of ancient times to morphine and heroin and oxycodone, humanity has yet to find an opioid that doesn't carry with it great risks of addiction and societal damage, despite seeking a drug for basically all of our history. While it may seem unlikely, it is possible that we will eventually find such an opioid drug that genuinely is safer and less addictive, but could still help treat pain. One area of research that has generated a little buzz is around beta-arrestin, which is a protein that attaches to opioid receptors when a person takes opioid drugs, and is responsible at least in part for dependency and addiction. A drug that could avoid these receptors, but perhaps target those involved in suppressing pain, could finally be the non-habit-forming opioid of many a researcher's dream. However, currently there doesn't seem to be much hope for such a miracle drug being found anytime soon. That doesn't mean drugs for chronic pain are a complete bust, though. Some other options that are being investigated right now include sodium channel blockers, which are, as the name suggests, drugs that block channels which transport sodium. These drugs are already in existence, for example in some local anesthetics like lidocaine, and work by blocking those channels which are used in the process of nerves firing and carrying pain signals. It was only in the last 15 years or so that scientists really figured out the minutiae of how sodium channels in nerves work, and how blocking them might be useful for pain treatment. Some early clinical trials seem to indicate that these drugs don't have serious side effects and aren't addictive, which is great, but also that their actual ability to reduce pain is kind of a mixed bag. A lot of the difficulty with these drugs is in targeting the sodium channels of relevant nerves, in a way that could be easily done for chronic patients. Having to inject these drugs at the site of chronic pain regularly is not very practical, but a lot of them also don't work orally. However, new drugs may avoid these problems, such as proteins derived from tarantula venom, that have shown some promise. Other researchers are working on creating antibodies that specifically target those sodium channels, although none of that research has yet gotten to clinical trials. If sodium channel blockers aren't futuristic enough for you, though, perhaps I can offer up the potential of gene therapy for chronic pain. Gene therapy is where specific genes in the body are modified, often done by modified viruses. A lot of drugs work by interacting with receptors in our bodies, mimicking chemicals that we make organically. Gene therapy instead aims to directly modify how we make those chemicals organically. And perhaps by modifying how potassium channels are controlled in nerve cells, or by having the body create more anti-inflammatory chemicals, we could help address chronic pain that way. That technology is definitely still in its early stages though, but it does seem to hold a lot of promise. If all that is too high-tech for you though, we can also get really primitive. 
The usage of marijuana is another non-opioid drug that may help out with chronic pain, and at least in the United States, has found mainstream success only quite recently. For many decades, marijuana was outlawed, and while certainly many people partook in it illegally, it's only been in the last few decades that a majority of states in the U.S. have begun allowing medical marijuana. I felt this was so recent it didn't quite fit in an earlier episode, but I think it's quite clear that eventual legalization, or at least full decriminalization, of marijuana is going to happen in the U.S. at some point, and its usage as a treatment for chronic pain is likely to become more common. Numerous studies at this point have shown that marijuana can help with chronic pain, and it certainly appears to be a safer drug than at least opioids, although that's not exactly a high bar. But per my understanding, marijuana is also less studied than many opioids, so its long-term effects are a bit less clear. Although its frequent and long-term use has been associated with mood disorders, memory impairment, and cardiovascular disease. I personally don't feel that medications are the best solution to deal with chronic pain, especially in the long term. So let's talk about other options. This brings us back to interdisciplinary pain management, where a team of experts guide patients through a mixture of treatments, like medications, physical, and cognitive therapy. Usually this process is pretty intense and takes at least a few hours a day for a few weeks. And as we talked about in last episode, such approaches do help with pain, are generally cost-effective, and despite all this, actually dwindled in popularity in recent years, likely due to a combination of factors. I think, though, the future looks bright for interdisciplinary pain management. Insurers and health centers are increasingly being forced to adopt measures that tie how they get paid to how their patients do, which likely works in our favor here. Another problem for many patients is simply access to pain specialists, but the rise of telehealth could potentially help with that. Many components of pain management can be done remotely, including appointments, cognitive therapy, and even to some degree physical therapy. Physical therapy may even eventually be conducted using virtual reality technology, as I personally know of a few startups that are working on that space. I think changes in how healthcare is paid for and improvements in communications technology will only make it easier for pain specialists to reach more people and hopefully address pain in an effective, long-term, and affordable way that doesn't carry a terrible risk of addiction. And that's pretty much it for our season on pain management. I'm not sure yet what my next season will be, but as per usual, I will take about a month to plan it out, and I will decide my topic in the next week or so. So if you've got ideas for a new season topic, contact me with the links in the show notes. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. As always, thank you for listening, and thanks also to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music. Music